0: We have been looking at some of the great battles in the Bible, and most of the ones we've looked at were between armies. But today there's a personal battle we look at, uh, that of King Saul and, and David, when the battle gets personal. So we turn to 1 Samuel 24, we begin reading at verse 1. Now, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recess of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him, because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord... That I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Now Afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you. But my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is The Lord's anointed now, my father, see indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, these are words that you have given by the inspiration of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see what you would want us to learn today about the battles of life when they get very personal. Lord, there may be some here this morning that are going through a, a battle with another person where there's been discord, there's been fighting. Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it means to not respond with unkindness, but to respond as David did in this text. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David experienced what was probably the greatest victory in his life. We saw that last Sunday in the battle against Goliath with just a few stones and a sling. He defeated that huge man. But after a great victory for David and for the people of Israel, things turned very sour very quickly. And you probably remember that when they came back from that battle with Goliath, the women came out and they were singing and dancing. And they sang this song, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And that really irked the king because he was very much bothered by who got the credit for this victory In 1 Samuel 18, verse 8, says, Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And then we find this statement, that Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. And so, this was the beginning, then, of a very personal battle that Saul had with David. And frankly, it got very ugly. Saul was obsessed with killing David, so David went into hiding. And our text then tells of the first meeting that King Saul and his men had with David. And how David responded to that, and the lessons that we can learn, then, when the battle becomes very personal. Notice, first of all, when the battle gets personal, God's servant rejects the counsel of those who seek revenge. God's servant rejects the counsel of those who seek revenge. If things were not in David's favor in battling against Goliath, neither were they in in his favor here. The odds were really against him. Uh, Saul had evidently secret agents, people that were informing him of where David was. So when he was hiding, he didn't know when it would be that that Saul and his men would appear. And besides that, uh, David's men were clearly outnumbered and clearly outclassed. According to Samuel, 1 Samuel 23, verse 13, David had 600 men at this time that were following him. And Saul, according to verse 2 of our text, had 3,000 chosen men. So here you are, outnumbered 3,000 to 600. And if you think of the kind of men that David had, they were really misfits. Go back to 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. It says everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So think of that. Here you've got 6,000 or 3,000 chosen men of Saul's army and you got guys like this in distress, in, in debt, discontent. So the odds were, were clearly not in, in David's favor here. But something changed, which uh, changed the odds for David. We're told in our text that uh, Saul went into a cave to, I guess it says, relieve himself. And David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Now, that had to be the providence of God, didn't it? Uh, Here he is chasing David. He comes into this cave and it's the very cave where David and his men are In hiding, would have been very easy for David to put an end to this personal battle. Uh, David could have taken King Saul's life right there. And his men were certainly in favor of that. Uh, They tried to make the case that this was the will of God. Look at verse four. The men of David said to him, behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you. Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Now the problem with their counsel is that the Lord had said no such thing. You won't find God telling David that it was time to kill King Saul. At least it's not recorded anywhere in in this scripture. What the Lord did say in the previous chapter, 1 Samuel 23, verse 4, is that he would give the Philistines into David's hand. But David's men took it one step further. They saw King Saul as an enemy like the Philistines. And they said, you know what, David, it's time to take him out. He tried to pin you to the wall twice with a spear. He's out to get your life. God has brought him here to you. It's time you took him out. That was the advice that they had given him. And I suppose it would have been easy to listen to that. I mean, after all, if someone is out to kill you, and you have have a chance to kill him and rid that fear, rid that problem, it might have been easy to respond to that. But he refused to take revenge. Verse 6. So he said to his men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and he did not allow them to rise up against Saul. So Saul arose, left the cave and he went on his way. Does this remind you of Jesus? I think of First Peter chapter 2, where Peter writes these words beginning at verse 20. He says, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And then Peter replies it, he says, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. How so? Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit in his mouth? And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I find it interesting that Peter is the one who wrote these words, because there was in Peter this kind of a spirit that would seek to get revenge. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers came and they were going to arrest him and Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Now, I'm of the persuasion that he was really going for the neck and just missed. But he was going to deal with this guy. He was going to react in a way that was not God's way. And this obviously made an impact on Jesus because Jesus put the ear back on and he healed the man. And then Peter tells us in these verses that... We need to follow the example of Jesus. Rejecting counsel that would come to us and say, you know what? Take him out. It's time to seek revenge. Ever struggle with that? Ever have those thoughts in your mind when someone has wronged you that, you know what? It's, it, it's about time that we deal with this person. It's about time to get revenge. And we think about it. We Rehearse it in our mind, and we might even say, Here's what I would say if I were to talk to this person now. Here's what I want to do to to get back at one who has wronged me. And some would even say, You have a right to do that. Don't listen to that counsel. (laughs) The Bible is clear that vengeance is whose? Mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. What was read from Romans 12 this morning, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Huh? Don't react with revenge. So when the battle gets personal, God's servant rejects the counsel of those who seek revenge. The second lesson we learn, when the battle gets personal, God's servant respects the authority that God has established. If you look at what David did when his men told him to kill King Saul, you get a sense that he must have struggled with this a little bit. What would he do, at least initially? And we're told in verse 4 that he didn't kill King Saul, but we're told that he cut off the corner of his robe. Now, we might read that and say, well, big deal. It's just the corner of his robe. I mean, what's so, what's so bad about, about that? But there was really some symbolical significance to that. And that is evident when you look back and see what Samuel, the prophet, said to King Saul back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Remember, uh, Saul was told not to offer a sacrifice. He was supposed to wait for the prophet to come, but he went ahead and offered the sacrifice anyhow. And Samuel, remember, he said... uh, Rebellion is the sin of divination and to obey is better than sacrifice. Remember that? And here's then what happened in verse 27 of 1 Samuel 15. It says, as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. So what David did here could have been viewed as an act of rebellion against Saul. It could have been seen as David trying to lay hold of the kingdom, to take it away from King Saul. And whether this was his intention or not, we don't know for sure. But after he did it, we find this statement in verse 5 that David's conscience bothered him. Because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. What David went on to say in verse 6 must have been a bit of a surprise to those who were wanting him to kill King Saul. Because here's this guy trying to kill you and and what does David call him? He calls him, my Lord. And twice in that verse, verse 6, he calls him the Lord's anointed. And so the reason why he had respect for King Saul is because he had respect for God. And that's why he said, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing. Do you catch that? Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing. You know, many people have a hard time with respect because... They think that respect must be earned. And if someone hasn't earned respect, we don't need to respect them. In fact, someone would go on to say that we should not respect them at all. We shouldn't give them any, any respect. And it's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? What do you hear about our president? Now, what do you hear about our former president and presidents before him? What do you hear about our governors? What do you hear about people in positions of authority? Very little respect, isn't there? And somehow we think, well, why should I? Why should I respect so and so? Why should I give honor to them? They don't deserve it. Think of David. This guy's trying to kill you he calls him the Lord's anointed. He's not going to kill the Lord's anointed. Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us very clearly that even those that we don't think have earned respect should be respected. 1 Peter 2 verse 13 says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Once again, the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God, honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And then he goes on to say, how about your boss? How about your master? Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Then Peter says, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? That's what you should do. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So it's easy to seek revenge. It's easy to say, I don't need to respect so-and-so. They haven't earned it. One author says that David's respect for human authority was based on his respect for divine authority. And I would agree with that 100%. And if David could respect a man like Saul... Someone out to kill you. Someone who despised you. Someone who was obsessed with getting rid of you. Can we not then respect those who are in authority over us, even when they have been unreasonable? Even when, perhaps, we've been treated unfairly. So when the battle gets personal, God's servant respects The authority that God has established. That's the second lesson. How about the third lesson? When the battle gets personal, God's servant recognizes that God is sovereign in the affairs of his people. After Saul left the cave that David and his men were in, notice what David did in verse 8. He arose and went out of the cave, and he called after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Think of it. Who is he bowing before? The one that's trying to destroy him. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave, and someone said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see indeed the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. Know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands." And I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. You know what David is doing here? David is seeking reconciliation. That's what he's doing. He's saying, Saul, you tried to kill me. I had a chance to kill you. I have not sinned against you. David was seeking reconciliation with the one who wanted to end his life. I suppose David could have said, Saul is the one who needs to reconcile with me. He's the one who's in the wrong, not me. I'm not going to crawl on my hands and knees and bow before this one who needs to crawl on his hands and knees and bow before me. I'm not the one in the wrong. That's the flesh, isn't it? That's the flesh. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Verse 23, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, not you against them, but your brother has something against you. Wait for him to come crawling to you. No. What did Jesus say? Leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. What is Jesus saying? That's more important than worship, because if you're not right with your brother, how can you be right with God? So we can never say, that's not my problem. I wasn't wrong. I'm not going to go to them. They need to come to me. That's the flesh speaking. And that's what Satan would want. So if you have a personal battle with someone else, you need to do what you can to reconcile, even if... You weren't the one in the wrong. Well, David obviously knew that Saul may not be willing to reconcile. So he goes on to say in verse 12, May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Verse 15, Therefore, The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. So what's David doing here? He's saying, OK, if you're not going to reconcile with me, then God needs to deal with that. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes people will not be at peace with us. Maybe you've experienced that before. We tried to reconcile and someone won't reconcile with you. You can't force it. You've done what you could say, Lord, you have to deal with that. That's what David is doing here. And what's interesting is that Saul had 3,000 3, men with him. He could have easily taken David out here. And I'll bet you David's men were thinking, David, why in the world did you yell out for Saul? He's trying to kill you. But notice how Saul responded. Verse 15, or 16, when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dealt with me while I have dealt, you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord has delivered me at your hand, and yet you didn't kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you've done to me this day. Now behold, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. I wish that was the end of the story. I wish that would have been genuine reconciliation. Because I've seen that before where it appears like there's genuine reconciliation and then it takes Another turn for the worse. And that's what happened. If you go to chapter 26. David comes to the camp of Saul. And Saul is surrounded by a bunch of men. And he's lying sleeping there in the midst of them. With his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And in verse 8 of chapter 26. Abishai says to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now therefore, please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke. And I will not strike him the second time. Oh, how kind, huh? Just one. I'll just pin him to the ground with one stroke, not two. Well, I think that would have done it. But David said to Abishai, verse nine, do not destroy him for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt. David also said, as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him or his day will come that he dies or he will go down into battle and perish The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head, and they went away, but no one saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now, what's interesting about this is that David had already been anointed as the next king of Israel. Samuel had already anointed him. And David could have reasoned to himself, hey, you know, it's about time I take care of Saul. I'm to be the next king. And if my life is gone, what's going to happen? In fact, he's admitted that I will be the next king. But I want you to listen to this very carefully. David wasn't going to take the kingdom, he knew that God would give him the kingdom. And there's a big difference. He knew that God would give him the kingdom, but it would be in God's time. It would be in God's way. You see, David recognized that God is sovereign in the affairs of his people. And in that fact, he could rest. He didn't need to take matters into his own hands. He could say, Lord, you deal with this. I trust you in this, that in your time and in your way, you will put me in the position that you want me to be. God is sovereign in the affairs of his people. And in that he could rest. Are you resting in the fact that God is sovereign? It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that everything will make sense. Sometimes life is very hard. Sometimes the events of life don't seem to make sense. And if there were no God that was not in control of the events of our life, it would be very easy to just give in to discouragement and despair. But there is a God who rules and reigns. There is a God who is in control of the events of the lives of his people. And when times are difficult and challenges come, that is something we need to rest in. That God is God and we are not. We trust him in the midst of those challenges. Oscar Anfeldt has written the words of our closing hymn. And he speaks of it well, doesn't he? Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest.